Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is when I'm supposed to turn the mic on, is that right? Just an uncomfortable one second bit of sound of silence. Some would say that's the best orders now sounded in a while. It is uh, 1233. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you. We will tell you that uh, the best bands in the game need the best content. Go live and behind the scenes with Oilers Plus and access live practice coverage, pre- and post-game shows, behind-the-scenes original series, and much more. Subscribe now at OilersPlus.com using the promo code ALLCAPSOILERSNOW. That's all caps. you got to capitalize every single letter. Oilers Now for a th- uh, free three-day trial. We are going to tell you that guests in the show receive Ruth Chris gift certificates. We're going to see Brendan and the gang at Roos Chris tonight. If you're celebrating a special moment or simply savoring a night on the town, every meal is an occasion at Roos Chris Steakhouse, 9990 Jasper Avenue. As every Thursday in orders now for GCL Diesel, providing genuine diesel parts and turbochargers at great prices since 1972. GCLDiesel.com We welcome back to the show Sportsnet color analyst Louis DeBrus. Hello Louis, how you doing? Doing well today, Bob. How are you doing? Oh, you know, doing good. Busy, busy, busy. Let's go. Let's go. Here we go. That was a fun one last night. I'll tell you what, it was a uh, tale of a couple of games. It was uh, back and forth, that's for sure. All right, tell me this. Uh, do we get there, if not, for a strong performance from Jack Campbell? Not at all. I don't think so. Uh, and listen, some botched, botched chances by Vancouver, which I don't think Jack Campbell would have had any chance on, to be honest. There was one by Hoaglander, one by Miller that exploded off of his stick in a one-time nice pass by Kuzmenko. I mean, they created their chances. They, they surely did. And, and on the flip side, Edmonton had some real nice chances, too, that Demko denied early on. So the, the real high-quality chances, the goaltenders seemed to be up to the task and, and make those saves. It was just one of those games, though, that – you know, as Campbell settled in, he gave his team the ability to kind of stabilize, weather a real storm from the first half of the game, where I thought Vancouver in the first period was all over it. Could have easily been 3 4 nothing going into the second period. Um, they make it 3 nothing early on that power play goal. Um, and you're thinking, holy geez, they're starting off the, the second period the same way. Good on them. They're not relenting. But as we've seen so often, I don't know why we ever question the fact that Edmonton has the ability to come back in games because they've done it so often. And it just becomes second nature for them. They just started to dig in, started to play a little grittier, in my opinion. They started to get more physical. They started to go to work, and they got some bounces. They got a bounce and a break on the penalty, non-call on Quinn Hughes on the power play, and that got things started. But that was only one goal. They had to work hard for the rest of them. And uh, I think Connor said it best after the game, Bob, to be honest. He, he was very candid. He said, listen, everything that could have gone wrong in the first half of that game essentially went wrong. But we found a way to kind of stabilize. He gave Jack a lot of uh, credit, Campbell, that is, in allowing them to kind of find their legs and find their game. And, 
Yeah, I don't think it's the way they want to win games, but you'll take wins any way, shape, or form, especially early in the season. It kind of looked like last year, right? Relying on the special teams, the lethal power play three for four, the penalty killing, getting a push on the game. Yes, they gave up a goal against in eight shorthanded scenarios, but they also got a shorthanded goal for your thoughts, Lou. Yeah. Yeah, and that's but it's, it's such a weapon. It's it's incredible, you know. And it's and I thought the Canucks did a great job staying out of the box. I thought maybe one missed call early on, but overall they were very disciplined. They really were. I, I thought they were playing kind of the perfect game they had to play against Edmonton. They were physical. They were agitating. They were drawing penalties because of that agitation. I think. Connor McDavid won the cross check, was just kind of setting the tone, got a little bit over aggressive. I think the Darnell Nurse penalty at the end of the period, I think that was out of frustration. I really do. I think that was an undisciplined penalty that he shouldn't have taken. Um, but you know what? I understand it. I understand it because you're just trying to get something going. And it seemed like every time Edmonton would dig in, get a little traction, they would take a penalty. It was a penalty called, and all of a sudden they're derailing that momentum. And I credit Vancouver for not taking penalties against Edmonton because you see what happens when you do. It's just such a weapon, and I think that plays in the minds of teams. I really do. When you're going up against the Edmonton Oilers, a team that has that potent of a power play, and it's it's the best power play in the game. It's it's remarkable. They it, it makes you play a little bit differently. You're not using your stick as much. You're afraid to take penalties by reaching out and grabbing and clutch and playing that heavy game. And you know what? As as the game went on, they got their opportunities. They capitalized on their opportunities. And on the flip side, Vancouver didn't. You know, they had a lot of opportunities on the power play. As I mentioned before, they had a couple chances that, let's face it, should have been in the back of the net, but they just couldn't finish it off. Uh, and I'm going to credit Reed Wilkins because he did the digging on this. Since the NHL began tracking power plays back in 1977-78, the Edmonton Oilers, 81-82 to 85-86, so that was five years, and the Calgary Flames, 86-87 to 89-90, are the only two teams that have recorded power play percentages higher than 25% in four or more consecutive uh, seasons. Uh, there are two teams... Uh, besides the Oilers, who have had uh, three straight years of uh, 25 or more percent, and that's the Islanders of the late 70s, uh, early 80s, rather, and the Canadians of the late 70s. So here's, the again, the Oilers five years in a row in the 80s, the Flames four years in a row in the 80s, the Islanders three years in a row in the early 80s, the Canadians three years in a row in the late 70s. There's one huge advantage that penalty killers have today over those era teams, video. Okay? There's, in theory, no surprise. The Oilers have had three straight years of 25 or more percent in a time in which goal scoring is a fraction, not a fraction, but, you know, is, I I would suggest, probably 60% of what it was back in the day when these teams were having these runs. We're watching literally... An anachronism when it comes to the Oilers' power play. It, it, it's literally from a different time, a different place in terms of the percentages it's putting up. Louis, it's crazy when you think about it. They have a chance to, you know, I mean, I wouldn't bet against them finishing lower than twenty-five percent this year. No, would no. you? I think I think they're just getting wound up. I think they're getting more comfortable in the power play. I really do because they can come at you from so many different angles. They have so many different options now. Obviously, the three across the middle with Nugent Hopkins in the bumper, McDavid and Dreisaitl on the flanks. You can interchange. Hyman's great in front of the net. Kane's good in front of the net. I mean, you could put Paul Yarby in there. You can put a lot of different people in there for different looks. 
and different situations depending on the time of the game or where, where guys are on their shift likes and, and who you want to put out there. You've got options on the back end with Bouchard, with Barry, with Nurse. I mean, there's so many different combinations they can throw together to change it up a bit, which they've done over the last few years. And that's the one thing they've been able to continue to do is grow on that power play, find different ways to score. We've seen McDavid as a shooter a little more often, which you saw the one-timer that he scored um, on a beautiful little touch pass over. And for me, I'll go even further with your evaluation. I, I believe it's even that much more remarkable they're doing it in 2022 to start this year and over the last few years in the modern game where everybody blocks shots. I remember we used to give standing ovations on the bench when somebody would go down and block a shot. And I will tell you that Edmonton, with the Kevin Lowe's of the world, you know, were a team that blocked a lot of shots. It was in their mentality to do that. So when I came on board in Edmonton, I was impressed with how much guys would pay the price, the Buckbirds, the McTavishes, you know, the Huddies when he was here. You know, all, everybody bought in and blocked shots and it carried over. That was just a, a mentality we had that to get in lanes. But when a forward blocked a shot, it was a big deal, you know, because nowadays, though, everybody blocks shots, everybody's in that shooting lane, everybody's paying the price, so it's more difficult to get shots through. Sticks are better. I mean, uh, the, the positioning on the power play, as you mentioned with video, I agree with you. They can, they can watch how, how power plays um, go about their business. They can try and make sure they're, they're putting their six to right position to take certain options away, kind of push a power play to a certain area they want. Still doesn't work. The, and the other thing for me is the goalies. I, we can't forget the fact that the goaltenders of today are the best they've ever been in the game. 100%. Now, I, know, I know that the old school guys will argue, and I'll argue with them. I agree with them 100% because i got an old school mentality too. The athleticism as far as just naturally playing the position and anticipating and using reaction to make saves was considerably better back in the day. They're a little bit more positional now because they use their size, which is smart. And it's percentages. And they're so athletic. They're, they're tremendous athletes. I'm not saying they're not great athletes. I'm saying back in the day, the guys that stood their ground, they were five foot six, five foot five. I mean, they were making stand-up saves, kicking the left pad out. Nobody went down to butterfly. Nobody took up as much of that net as the goaltenders do today. So to score on goalies in the modern era is much more difficult than to score on the goalies in the, in the past there. Now, I will say the sticks are better, too, so the shots have gotten um, more velocity on them. I think the, the average player in the NHL shoots the puck harder than they did back in the 70s, 80s, 60s, 100%. But there are so many things that weigh against having an elite power play. It's even more impressive than not only the Edmonton Oilers, but I think just the skill set in the league alone just goes to show you where this game's at right now in the skill set. It, it's unbelievable to watch what some of these players are doing on the ice. I'm fascinated every time I watch it. I really am. Louie, are you on speaker? Sorry, we're, we're having a little bit of audio feedback for some of our listeners. Uh, I don't know if you're on speaker or on handset, if you could somehow... I, here, let me try this. Are you there? Well, that knocked him right off the air there. So hang on a sec. We'll get Louie... Uh, queued up here. You can text us at 780-496-0063. Sonny in Vancouver asks, Bob, did the refs not miss a hit from behind by Burroughs and Paul Yarby uh, prior to the nurse penalty last night? That one comes to us from Sonny in Vancouver. Uh, yeah, I kind of thought that, um, you know, the call of McDavid, all right, fine, you're going to call that, call that. I thought there was an opportunity there on the Burroughs play of Paul Yarby as well. So, Sonny, you and me ended up seeing the uh, the, the same sort of thing. Again, you can text us at 780-496-0063. We're going to go back to Louis DeBrusque here. Do we have him, Brendan, or did we lose him? 
Uh, I, I think we have Louie. There we go. We got him clean. Louie, I got a little better. Way better. Uh, Louie, this hey, one. It doesn't matter where I am. I can be in northern Alberta. I can be in my office and in my house, and I don't know. It's been bad connection for us this year. We'll it's okay. It we'll get there. Uh, what are Louie's thoughts on Darnell Nurse getting fined for interference? Do the players need to carry a purse in the future as they are playing, or will player safety ask for guardrails to be installed around every player? Wow. Uh, I, I, I did think, like, hey, if that's an winner player getting hit from behind yeah. like that, you wouldn't be happy. I'm gonna- I'm going to disagree with that that uh, caller or uh, texter, and and that's okay if you dislike that. It's an opinion, but it was late. It was really late, unsuspecting player. And I got to tell you, when I watched it again after the game, um, there was a little bit of contact in the head. He's lucky that he didn't really exert into that hit because if he would have taken Burroughs' head off there, obviously it would have been a suspension. You, you, Here's the thing. I know what people are saying, and I get it. I mean, there's a lot of ticky-tack calls. The physicality isn't the same it used to be. It ratchets up as the year goes on, I think it carries over in the playoffs, and it gets to be better hockey in that regard, in my opinion. But there's no question that was a penalty, and I think it was the league's way of initiating early on saying, listen, that was a late hit. It was by design. It was out of frustration, and we're not going to tolerate it. I have no problem with it. Yeah. I don't. Interesting. I have no problem with it. I don't. I don't have any problem with it. I. Here's the thing, and I know Darnell, and we talked to him. We talked to him in the dressing room, and he was really immobile for a while. And he talked about the fact that it was really frustrating for a guy that's used to being able to move so effectively that he couldn't. He couldn't move around the ice and skate the way he was playing with a torn hip flexor for crying out loud, which is. I, I've never seen anybody play with that the way he could play and the way he could skate. So pretty remarkable in that regard. And we know what Leon went through in the playoffs too, which I just think is a testament to what these guys will battle through to continue to try and win. But you know what? I think there's a little part of Darnell right now. He kind of wants to make up for lost time. I really do. And I, I could be totally wrong. Maybe I'll talk to him about that. But I think he wants to make up for lost time because he's, he's excited due to the fact that he can move. And the celebration after the goal to tie 3-3, which was, which, you know, great on him for kind of coming back and scoring that goal to tie it 3-3 because it was the 3-0 goal scored in the power play by Kuzmetko that was the penalty that he took at the end of the first period. So he made up for that. So that's awesome. And that's what you like to see. He had a big game. I thought as that game went on, he really started to exert himself. And you're like, okay, he's in the swing now. And you forget that he had to play so long with kind of limited mobility where he couldn't really do the things that he's normally used to doing. And so I think there was a little bit of excitement there. So I'm going to give him a benefit of the doubt in that regard. But I would tell you that I think that that's a penalty that he doesn't want to take. I think that's a penalty that he probably goes into the room and says, yeah, okay, I probably shouldn't have done that. He's always been an emotional player, and that's what makes him what he is. But he made up for it with a huge goal shorthanded to tie the game. And that's what the game is all about. If you make a mistake out there, you try and go out there and fix it. You try and do better the next time. And uh, I thought he uh, did that very well in the game. But I agree with the I agree with the five. I honestly looked at that again, and I thought they might take a look at this. They might take a look at this and do something. So I'm not surprised at all. Louis, what's it, so it's the first game of the year. They're they're announcing all the players. Uh, there was an emotional moment. Obviously, uh, I don't know if uh, it brought a tear to your eye, but it did to mine uh, when they showed the Stelter family in the crowd. And and. You know, you know what it meant to those Oilers players, and it's a kid, and 
you know, Ben was six, and it's just it's heartbreaking for any parent out there, anybody. You don't have to be uh, a parent yet to to have an appreciation for what that family went through. Um, it, it, you know, surely you would have experienced this at some point during the course of your career as a player. Uh, it's got to be a. I mean, you know what? It's it, it was a wonderful moment in terms of how the crowd reacted and started chanting Ben's name. That was off the chart. What's it like to be a player in that situation? You know, I'll tell you. There's there's real emotion there, and and it's hard not to get choked up. It's hard not to be emotional, but you could see it in the players' faces. You could see it um, afterwards. Connor McDavid spoke about it on the ice in his post game interview, and he also spoke about it with Scott Oak in our interview. Um, he mentioned his name a few times, and you know he was on his mind. And that's uh, Ben was a special kid. He was a special kid that, you know, it was that unconditional love. You know, he came in, he was just so so excited to be a part of it and a part of the run. And the players just absolutely loved that kid. And uh, it's really unfortunate. It's really sad. And as a player, I can tell you one thing. When I played here in Edmonton, too, and Oakland, say there was very big on us going around and visiting hospitals, and especially the children's hospitals and the terminally ill. And you know, he wanted us to go in there, and they were very, very difficult days, Bob. It was difficult to go in there and see people in that situation. But you realize you're you were giving those those children and those people that just break that break from reality to just enjoy some time, have a smile, um, and and hopefully make the day a little bit better if you can. And I think that, you know, Ben was, uh, it, it, I think he gained so much from being around the Oilers for that period of time, him and his family. I think it was so special how the Oilers just adopted the whole family and brought them in and just, um, made everything special for him. But I honestly think what he did for the Oilers as well, I think the players in that room will tell you, um, he's going to be on their mind throughout the, forever. He'll be, he'll be one of those, one of those, uh, people that, They'll never forget it. They'll always be in the back of their mind and thinking about him because he was that special. Yeah. I really believe that. Yeah. I really believe that. Yeah. So, so do I. I. I'm totally with you. So I, there's an old saying, you never critique a win. The team showed the ability to, on, against a good goaltender, to fight their way back. And they scored a couple. The second and third goals were, you know, those were great plays. Uh, one on the power play, one shorthanded. You don't critique a win. The five-on-five play left a lot to be desired, but we also need to factor they didn't have, and I know I'm going to get some pushback on this, but they didn't have Warren Fogle and they didn't have Kyrie Yamamoto. And and you know what? Yamamoto basically played in the top six all last year. Uh, Fogle, third-slash-fourth line. I I think it's a little bit tough to judge the team five-on-five without having... Like, they didn't have a lot of continuity with their lines up front. And we've got some listeners that are saying, hey, just just relax here, everybody. Like, it's the first game of the year. You're not going to be 0-60 to 60 in game number one. You found a way, ultimately, to get the end result. Your thoughts, Louie? Yeah, you know, some guys got lost in the shuffle, right? And when you have eight, eight penalties against eight power plays for the opposition for Edmonton, that is, the Holloways, you know, in his first game, coughed up that puck right away. Just a, It was a good pickup at Patterson. He kind of snuck in from behind the, the four breaking out of the zone and just slipped in at the right time. We've seen Connor, Vion, Nuge, you know, guys do that all the time. It happens. It's just, you know, one of those plays. Now, credit Patterson for finishing it off. He walked in, made a beautiful move, stayed with it, jammed it home. But for the youngster, that's a tough start. And it's hard to get yourself traction back in the game. But I do think when he did get out there, in the limited time that he played, he played just over eight minutes, I believe, he 
he was fine. He, you know what? They, they gave energy. They followed up a real strong shift from the top line one time. So they found their ways to gain momentum and get their, their legs into it because he's such a great skater. Um, along with Devin Shore, you know, another guy whose ice was down a little bit. Uh, Brad Malone, obviously his ice time was down a little bit too. When you're dealing with all those situations, both power play and penalty kill, it eats it up. Also, the fact they only had 11 forwards, and Jay Woodcroft, from the start of the game, he just loaded up the top line. He played dry side with McDavid, and he said, okay, this is the way we're going to go, and why not? You know, Bruce Boudreau on the other side, when we talked to him before the game, he's like, listen, I'm going to try and disperse the ice time the best that I can, but this is about winning, and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to try and win the game. And Jay Woodcroft is no different. No different. You're going to take the situation at hand. You understand, okay, we're not going here. We need to bust out of this. And he just kept going back to the well saying, you know what? We have to kind of get this flushed out. And it worked. So you can't, you can't really critique that. I do think, though, ideally, he's going to want to have a little bit more consistent line rotations. And, but this is the new national hockey. This truly is what happens. And every team goes through where you're shuffling lineups, you're loading up after penalty kills, you're trying to get the momentum back, different power play situations, you're putting different players out there who's going to mix up the five-on-five line combinations. You have to be ready to play with anybody at any time in the game, and I think that's just the mentality they want to have, and they got it done. But, yeah, I agree with you. It was a really scrambling game that way, and some big minutes for Connor over 23 minutes, which, I mean, he's used to. And Leon was down a little bit. He led all forwards in the National Hockey League last year in ice time. So the thing is, with two days off before the Saturday game and then two days off after the Saturday game before the game versus Buffalo, I think when you look at the schedule, they've had three days off before that game last night. I don't think they're worried about giving them that much ice time early in the season. I truly don't. Louis, uh, day-to-day for Jake? I don't know. He's going to get checked out again today, and... And we'll see. It's uh, It could be a little bit longer. All right. Well, we'll get an update from you in a week once. And by that point, everything will be public anyways. Thanks for your time, Lou Dog. Thanks, bud. You bet. 154. Oh, I need to turn my mic on. 154 in Edmonton. We'll take a quick timeout. Uh, come back in a couple minutes. Get to a text or two. You're listening to Oilers now. Hey, if you're looking for a great Oilers road trip, we sold out our roadie to New York City in late uh, late November, but you can join Oilers now in Vegas to see the Oilers and the Golden Knights. It'll be the second of a back-to-back. You get to see all the famous Vegas attractions. This new West Travel Hockey Package includes airfare three nights at the five-star Cosmopolitan Hotel on the Vegas Strip, game tickets, and a welcome reception with yours truly. Visit newwesttravel.com for more information. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. When we come back, David Staples from the Cult of Hockey. This is Oilers Now.